Welcome back to the Santa Cruz Baptist Podcast. I'm Tyler Hurst, one of the pastors here at Santa Cruz Baptist, and I'm here with Drew Cunningham. And this weekend, we just wrapped up a sermon on Daniel chapter 7, which is a pretty crazy text. It moves us from the historical reflections of Daniel into uh, a different type of literature. So, Drew, why don't you give us a summary of Daniel 7 and what you hope people took away? Yeah, so uh, David Helm says that this is the point where Daniel shifts from storytelling um, to movie watching. Mm-hmm. And so we're moving from uh, words to word pictures and uh, this, this vision that's given to Daniel. Um, and we move into uh, what's called apocalyptic literature. Um, thus far in Daniel, we've been following a definitive timeline where one king gives way to another king, gives way to another king, and there's uh, a timeline to it. But here in, in chapter 7, uh, we actually get off the timeline and go back to when Belshazzar was king uh, from chapter 5. And uh, Daniel's given this vision. And uh, in the vision, uh, it, it talks about these stirred-up seas, which typically represents chaos and, and evil in the Bible, Um, And out of the seas come four beasts, and they have various things that are said about them. And uh, Daniel's very troubled by this vision. Um, And so he asks, and he gets this whole interpretation of of what the vision is. Um, And uh, essentially, um, the main point of of this text, and there's so, so, so many details to this text, and, and... connecting who these beasts are and what they represent. Um, And we'll talk about this a little bit later of where we can get stuck in the weeds or interpret this wrongly. Um, But the main point of the text is that uh, there's going to be some hard times for people who follow God in this world. But uh, in the end, uh, God wins. And uh, in this text, we get this glorious, glorious vision of these two figures, Um, one that's called the Ancient of Days, which uh, clearly refers to God the Father. And uh, we get this whole section in Daniel 7 describing the Ancient Mm -hmm. of Days set in this courtroom and um, being completely pure and completely just, um, but dispensing judgment. And then... Immediately following that, we get this figure called the Son of Man, uh, which is, the, the, that's the way that Jesus most often referred to himself in the Gospels. Um, at Jesus' trial, we see him calling himself the Son of Man mm-hmm. and quoting Daniel 7. Um, and so there's this glorious picture amidst this terrible vision of these beasts who roam the earth and, um, you know, wear out Christians or wear out followers of God. Mm-hmm. Um we get this portrait of God the Father and God the Son being in complete control of things. And so uh, if I had to boil it down to one sentence, it's there are, are going to be some rough times for those who follow God, but God wins in the end. And that's super important because one of the things that that tells me is that this entire book is a cohesive whole mm-hmm. because that in a sense has been the summary statement of each chapter leading up to this. So even though we have this dramatic shift in uh, genre style, um, you still have the same point being carried through. 
because the vision or the dream Nebuchadnezzar has in chapter two, what is it about? Well, the kingdom of God will ultimately conquer. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what happens in terms of Nebuchadnezzar being humbled, what's that about? Well, ultimately he's prideful and he needs to humble himself before God or else he will be humiliated. And then you have, you know, what you just mentioned in terms of Belshazzar and that chapter in terms of the handwriting on the wall and what's that about? Well, God is in control, not you, so do not mock God. Right. Uh, And so you have this constant uh, run through of um, God's sovereignty in these texts. Bingo. And you're not, you have a big shift in genre, but you don't have a shift in meaning. This is just a different way of God communing the same truth to Daniel. Exactly. So as we said earlier, you know, this is a shift in the type of literature. Um, and as you just said, you know, it's not a shift in theme at all, mm-hmm. but it's a shift in a type of literature. And this literature is what's known as apocalyptic literature. And um, so I, obviously zombies are going to show up I, at some point <laughs> in the next couple of chapters. I, I kind of jokingly said on Sunday, um, as you know, the, the room was packed mm-hmm. more so than we've ever had it. Um, you know, the, the saying goes, if you want to fill a church, you either preach on sex or apocalyptic literature. And if you want to fill a youth group, you talk about sex in apocalyptic literature. <laughs> so, you know, th- this is something that's fascinating to so, so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, apocalyptic literature, um, you know, the, these visions of um, what most people understand to be future events, and, and so, yeah, it is, it's a fascinating thing, but it can also be a very confusing thing to mm-hmm. people. Um, and so uh, I said in the sermon that one commentator says, uh, we instinctively know that a sentence that begins, the stars will fall from heaven, the sun will cease its shining, and the moon will drip blood, will not end, and the rest of the country will be partly cloudy with scattered showers. Mm-hmm. So even if you know nothing about apocalyptic literature whatsoever, if you're reading from Daniel 6 and then you hit Daniel 7, you know you're in a different terrain, mm-hmm. and you know that there's something different about this literature. But what what is apocalyptic literature? Right. And so there, I read this definition, and so that's kind of where I want to go with the rest of our time here is to say, what is apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature? And um what are some ways that people do it wrong in our view? So first and foremost, apocalyptic literature, and this definition comes from Dale Ralph Davis. He says that apocalyptic literature is a sort of prophecy that seeks to enlighten and encourage a people despised and cast off by the world with a vision of the God who will come to impose his kingdom on the wreckage and rebellion of human history. And it communicates this message through the use of wild, scary, imaginative, bizarre, and head-scratching imagery. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, you know, the book of Revelation as a whole is apocalyptic literature. Mm-hmm. It's written to exactly the, the, the people that Del Ralph Davis says, people who are despised and cast off by the world. You've got these people who are being severely, severely persecuted by Nero. Mm-hmm. And the book of Revelation is written to them to kind of peel back heaven and say, okay, this is what's reality. This is what's right. going on in heaven. I think of Revelation chapter four. Um, it's the, the throne room vision of God seated on his throne, um, complete calm mm-hmm. and everyone worshiping around the throne to say to these people, God's still in control. Mm -hmm. Even though like all hell's breaking loose on earth and you feel like God's losing, 
look at this vision. God's, God's winning and he's in control and he's sovereign. That's what apocalyptic literature is in a nutshell. And I think that genre idea is really important to classify within the historical context. I read this article um, years back, probably when I was in college or something like that, but it described, um, it was a run up to, uh, what's that award show where they award the best picture and best actor and stuff like that? Is that the Academy Awards or is that a different one? <laughs> Emmys, um, Academy Awards, one something of like that. Um, and I was in this class that analyzed film that was, it was called Faith, Film, and Philosophy. And we analyzed um, different films for their worldview. Uh, and so we read this article and it was talking about how uh, you can actually predict most most often, which movie out of the ones nominated will end up winning based off what's happening. And so, for example, all of the movies that won during things like World War II uh, or Vietnam were all very much like feel-good movies. We were in a time of like upheaval, Mm -hmm. and so people wanted... They, I mean, in an escapist culture, people wanted something that would make them feel good. Likewise, you get like when things are peaceful, you get something like Saving Private Ryan, this like kind of gritty drama that tugs at your heartstrings like that kind of because we want to be reminded of reality when everything's like going well. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's a similar thing is taking place here. There's this uh, immediate present reality of persecution uh, for the book of Revelation or for Daniel, this like what is taking place because the kingdom of God understood as the Davidic kingdom has been conquered and God is going, no, no, no. Um, I understand things are hard to see. Let me peel back the curtain and show you what the actual reality of the situation is. And essentially giving him something that in his cultural context makes substantially more sense. And I think Daniel gets a dose of both Mm -hmm. um, because when the time of this vision took place, it's during the the reign of Belshazzar, the text tells us. Mm -hmm. So, Daniel was somewhat close to the end of exile. Mm -hmm. Um, The Jews were about to be released. Daniel knew that Mm -hmm. uh, they were about to be released to go back to Jerusalem. And so that's the first part of this this vision is saying, Daniel, I I know that, um, that the Jews are about to get released to Jerusalem, but remember these beasts. Mm-hmm. things are not going to go smoothly for God's right. people. Right. Even when they go back to Jerusalem, it's going to get harder, actually. These mm-hmm. beasts become more beastly, yeah. and that's what's ahead for you. That's reality. Um, so don't assume that everything's going to be smooth sailing once mm-hmm. you get back to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. But, again, in the middle of persecution, remember reality. Remember that God's on the throne mm-hmm. and that he's in control. Mm-hmm. So... In light of that, if that's apocalyptic literature in a, a nutshell, what are some ways that you see that, that people go wrong on this? Well, uh, we were just talking before the podcast, and one of uh, the events that I always thought was interesting when I was in seminaries, I TA'd for this professor, um, and he was on, the seminary was down in Los Angeles, and he was on local LA news uh, on, let's see, May 21st. At midnight, the the moment May 21st ended. And the reason for that, uh, May 21st, 2011, I should say, the reason for that was because of a San Diego-based preacher, I believe, named Harold Camping. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you don't recognize this name, let me just quickly read uh, two paragraphs off his Wikipedia page. It says, Camping first predicted that Judgment Day would occur on September 6th, 1994. When it failed to occur, he revisited the date to September 29th and then after that to October 2nd. 
In 2005, Camping again predicted the second coming of Christ and dated it to May 21st, 2011, whereupon the saved would be taken up to heaven in the rapture and that their, quote, would follow five months of fire and brimstone and plagues on the earth with millions of people dying each day, culminating on October 21st, 2011 with the final destruction of the world. And then the next paragraph begins, his prediction for May 21st, 2011 was false. <laughs> I, I believe that was the the second uh, prediction that he had made. So well, he made one in like that, the 80s. Oh yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Um, it doesn't record that on his Wikipedia page, but I believe... I believe that's true. Um, yeah, and so what you have here is, is Harold Camping, who um, I want to be, while I think this is uh, somewhat ridiculous to say the least, um, I want to be generous. Harold Camping was a, a thoughtful um, and, and well-studied Bible scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially what we think happened is he went wrong in how you deal with apocalyptic literature. Uh, and what what uh, Dr. Camping did is he sat down uh, and tried to figure out what all these different things in the book of Revelation and in a couple of other apocalyptic verses and chapters we have scattered throughout the, the Bible, uh, all these different images, beasts, various, you know, oceans, winds, uh, all sorts of things. He tried to figure out what exactly they were, how long they were going to last, and then from that, build a timeline to the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we would say this is sort of akin to uh, somebody who takes, who doesn't necessarily understand how biblical genealogies work and reverse reverses the genealogy to figure out the date of the creation of the earth based off right. of how long everybody right. lived. Um, so in many ways, mm-hmm. Harold Camping saw himself as a, a Noah figure mm-hmm. who knew that judgment was imminently coming and was warning people. Um, there's There's this great... Nickel Creek song. Um, it's one of my kids' favorite Nickel Creek songs. They always ask to play it. They don't have a, a clue, you know, the, the context of what we're talking about here, but it's just a good song. Um, but one of the verses says, uh, They laughed while Noah built his boat, then cried when came the rain. They mock me now, but I will float on the 21st of May. So the whole song is about <laughs> Harold Camping um, and, and his 94 prediction and then his May 21st mm-hmm. prediction. I do, do want to just point out one more thing uh, to be fair to the late Harold Camping. Um, his Wikipedia page also records that in March of 2012, he stated his attempt to predict the date was sinful and that his critics had been right to emphasize the words of Matthew 24, 36 which says, of that day and hour knoweth no man. And so he added that he was now searching the Bible even more fervently, not to find dates, but to find more faithful, but to be found more faithful in his understanding of scripture. Um, so we think he, he made a serious error in his interpretation of apocalyptic literature. But uh, we also want to point out, um, after uh, three or four pretty embarrassing moments, um, you know, he kind of came to this understanding of like, well, no, I was not faithful to scripture. I need to repent of that. And now I need to start looking again at scripture to, so that I'm found faithful on mm-hmm. the day when Christ returns. So, mm-hmm. so let's ask this. Mm-hmm. How, how do we not read Daniel 7 or maybe even Daniel 8 next mm-hmm. week? Um, how do we not read these texts like Harold Camping? What are some mistakes we can make in Daniel 7? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the mistakes... The eyes I prepare for Daniel 8 am trying to be careful of because I love history. 
And as I read and study Daniel 8, I realize um, with slightly more accuracy than Daniel 7, because there's a little bit of ambiguity in Daniel 7, Daniel 8 seems like you can point at things and then like, you know, that goat, that ram, this broken horn, that thing he's talking about. And there are pretty clear fulfillments in history. Uh, And so I could very easily spend, you know, 16 hours prepping the sermon just in a, you know, intertestamental history book figure, you know, reading about the Greek empire or something Mm -hmm. like that. But I really think that that, um, while, while there's something to be applauded there in a desire to immerse yourself and study deeply in scripture, I really think that that's missing the point of what's Mm -hmm. going on. Because when I do that, what have I not really thought much about? What have I not spent much time contemplating? Exactly. Um, I think, you know, as I I thought about this, um, in, in light of that, even with Daniel 7, even though that there's some ambiguity, mm-hmm. you can still with pretty good accuracy point to this equals that. Yeah. Um, and, and in some senses, that's good for us to do, to say, like, look at this prophecy. This was said before this happened, and mm-hmm. then it, it happened. Like, yeah. he said it was going to happen. And I think that is part of of something we should be doing is saying, okay, he was right on all of these things that happened in history and he was right on this vision of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man being on the throne and being, you know, conquerors. Well, and I think you drew that point out well in your sermon, and this is to preview one of the applications of my sermon this coming Sunday, um, is that in both visions, Daniel gets first something he knows already was fulfilled. Yep. And then, The first beast being Nebuchadnezzar. Correct, yeah. yeah. So, the, so, yeah, in your text, the first beast is Nebuchadnezzar, but he's seeing this, we're told... Uh, in the first or second year of Belshazzar, so we've got Nebuchadnezzar is already off the throne, mm-hmm. and so he has that association. So he knows, I know what's happening in this dream, and God just retold me this story mm-hmm. accurately, which is also going to, because of the four beasts, it's going to harken back to the four parts of the statue, as you pointed mm-hmm. out, and so that's going to remind him that, hey, God predicted the future before and was accurate. So now having that starting point, that reminder of God's accuracy, he's going to predict the future again. Right. Uh, and I think that's so crucial to mm-hmm. uh, not only him, but us being able to say, um, oh, like we can trust mm-hmm. the word of God right? Um, to, be, to be fulfilled. And we know that it was fulfilled in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because we can look back at so many things that were promised and then fulfilled um, that gives us even more confidence and more hope uh, of the promise that Christ is coming again mm-hmm. um, and will make all things new and all things right. Um, so based on previous experience of God's faithfulness, we can, can have hope going forward. So all that to say, that that is a good that comes out of mm-hmm. connecting specific things in the text to specific things in history. So there is some, some good in that. Um, but if we get stuck there... We can miss the the main point. Mm -hmm. Um, And and again, the main point being things are going to be hard living in Babylon um, or living in this this present age as a follower of God. But God wins in the end. Mm -hmm. If we we spend all of our time focusing on this this horn equals this character in in history, um, and we spend all of our time focusing in on that, we can miss the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man in the text because we're so focused on the horn. Yeah, and, and similarly, I think in the book of Revelation, 
if we're too worried about beasts and harlots and what they all turn into. Now, again, you study those things, think about them, uh, and think about how to live in light of them, but don't get so bogged down that you never make it to the end of the book of Revelation, where what happens? Christ sits on his throne, we are his people, we are with him, and we worship him. And it's like, you know, again, God wins, Christ wins in the end. His throne is assured, and it is a promised reality, and we can trust that, knowing that God predicted the future for Daniel Mm -hmm. to a T. Yeah. And for our listeners out there, Mm -hmm. I know we're a broken record here, Mm -hmm. but um, how do we solve this issue? How do we Mm -hmm. actually know how to interpret uh, apocalyptic literature and, um, you know, whether it be in Daniel or Revelation, like biblical theology is Mm -hmm. such a helpful tool. Um, if you're viewing scripture and you're viewing any given text through the lens of biblical theology, um, it makes it a lot harder for you to find Apache helicopters in the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. which a lot of people do. Uh-huh. Or I remember when I was a kid, uh, one of the sermons I heard on the book of Revelation was associating um, the number of the army of the beast with the number of conscripted soldiers in the Chinese military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things too, that I think, um, I think we have to be careful of, or a reason why we have to be careful of it is that is such a short sighted interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the nation of Psalm two, the nations of Psalm two that are at war with God, uh, are not simply, you know, America's geopolitical foes, right? Um, you know, it is the world. It is the, that's why when, you know, in the new Testament, when Jesus is talking about things, he's talking about the cosmos, the world is against, you know, God. And so you're either a friend of the world or you're a friend of God. Um, Right. And to associate it with, um, some nation or empire, which yes, historically we can, but the primary point is how do you live in those times? Right. And so if we get too bogged down in this nation, this thing in scripture is this present day nation. Think about what we've just made the application. If we as Christians or we as an, a, a Christian nation can somehow overcome the Russian bear or the Chinese, did you say it was a dragon on dragon. Top? Chinese mm-hmm. dragon? Uh, then if we've done that, then we've won. Right. And it's like, no, there will always be there, you know, there was, there was Babylon and then there was Persia and then there was Greece and then there was Rome. And there, there's always going to be another worldly empire until Christ comes back. Bingo. So, yeah, I mean, just to give an example of this, mm-hmm. if we're, if I'm viewing Daniel seven through the lens of biblical theology, instead of numerology or any of the other wrong ways to interpret apocalyptic literature, um, if I'm doing biblical theology well, I'm reading Daniel 7 in light of Psalm 2. I'm making that connection. Um, I'm reading Daniel 7 in light of what Jesus says in Mark 10 and Mark 14 and Matthew 28. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to connect what's going on in Daniel 7 to these crucial moments throughout you know, redemptive history. I'm able to see that, oh, this thing that's going on in the vision in Daniel 7 actually looks a lot like the, the throne room in, in Psalm 2. Um, oh, it looks a lot like you know what, what, what Jesus is saying in Mark 10, that mm-hmm. he's the Son of Man you mm-hmm. know, who came to, to redeem or ransom um, many. Um, oh, Daniel 7 looks a, a lot like the ascension and, and the things that Jesus says in the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if we're reading Daniel 7 as a small part of one big story, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, we should interpret Daniel 7 in light of the whole story. Mm -hmm. That's, in essence, what biblical theology is, and it helps us make sense of some of these confusing texts um, in light of the whole story. Mm -hmm. And so if we're, again, if we're finding Apache helicopters or, you know, connecting this specific person and, and... um, it's out of line with the greater story. We know we've missed the point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the overarching thing I would want to say is um, biblical theology helps us to interpret correctly some of these crazy, um, confusing texts. Yeah. yeah, I think as we uh, start to wrap up here, it might be helpful to give a couple of points of application and then get into some resources for people. Uh, and just... Um, you already mentioned in your sermon, uh, one point of application is to look at the end of the Gospel of Matthew and see, you know, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So what's one point of application of apocalyptic literature? Like, God wins, God is, you know, Christ is coming back, so go and make disciples. Like, let's be sharing the Gospel. Let's Mm -hmm. be teaching people the things of Christ, what he taught, how he lived, and let's be teaching people the gospel and how to follow him. Uh, As well, I would add um, a contemporary of Daniel, Jeremiah, wrote this to uh, the Babylonian and then in this, uh, well, in as well the Syrian or Persian exiles, uh, wrote, uh, the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of jo- uh, Josiah, the king of Judah, skipping down a little bit, um, he says, uh, so you are called to seek the prosperity of the city, take wives, have your sons, have your daughters marry. Uh, and so he's advocating, you know, live life, like go, you know, seek the prosperity of the city, uh, be faithful to God carry on uh, because, you know, there's this shouldn't, we shouldn't be building bunkers in light mm-hmm. of these texts is ultimately how I think about it. And I mean, to preview my sermon uh, from, for this weekend, uh, Daniel eight twenty seven ends with, uh, and I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. And then I arose and went about the king's business. So what does that mean? Well, Daniel sees this vision the vision is troubling to him, so troubling to him that he is physically sickened by it. He's like anxious, his stomach's turning, and he can't get out of bed. But he gets, you know, he processes it, he gets through it, and then he gets up and he goes to work. And, he, you know, he's not seeking to undermine the kingdom. I mean, we know from having just taught through Daniel 1 through 6 that, that Daniel's work is being faithful in the king's palace to what he's asked to do. Uh for the flourishing of this pagan city. And so as, as I think about it, those are a couple of, of applications that, uh, that come to mind for as we read apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature. Do you want to add anything before we get into some resources? No, I think that, that pretty much covers it. Um, one resource that I would, would recommend, um, I, I intentionally connected Psalm 2 uh, to, to Daniel 7 in, in multiple points, and uh, a good, you know, thing that's on the minds of a lot of people the last couple of years is political engagement. Um, so how do we live um, as political people in Babylon? Mm-hmm. Um, well, Jonathan Lehman has written a book, basically an exposition of Psalm 2 called How the Nations Rage, uh, Rethinking Faith and Politics in a Divided Age. Mm-hmm. And so 
what Lehman does is he takes Psalm 2 and looks at uh, the truths of Psalm 2 and how that affects political engagement living in, in Babylon. Um, and so a really helpful resource that um, kind of has tangential application to what we talked about in Daniel 7. And for me, I know we throw out a lot of books, so I thought I'd try and grab a podcast. Um, There is a podcast from the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Dr. Albert Muller, titled Thinking in Public, Uh, and it usually produces um, an episode each month. Uh, Dr. Muller is a prolific reader, and so what he does is he reads highly relevant books and then invites the authors, some Christians, some not, onto his program to discuss their books. And so just a few episodes that stood out to me um, that would help us understand a little bit better, um, not just uh, p- not particularly how to understand apocalyptic literature, but how to live in light of our times, uh, in light of the times that the apocalyptic literature of Daniel and of the book of Revelation describe. And so on December 10th uh, of last year, he interviewed uh, theologian and historian Carl Truman on his book, Triumph of the Modern Self, which deals with a lot of the background philosophy to the day and age in which we live in and gives us some kind of understanding about what's going on in terms of what we would call the sexual revolution. Uh, Dr. Truman refers to it as the revolution of the self and says that that sex is really the uh, sort of the window dressing to this broader understanding of identity. And I've learned, even though he's talking about particularly the sexual revolution, I've learned a lot about um, how to parent my kids reading that book uh, and the sorts of things I want to teach them about them, their selves and their identity uh, and what it means to be a person. As well, um, fairly controversial author Rod Dreher, who has written both Live Not by Lies, which he was interviewed for, as well as uh, his previous book, The Benedict Option, both on how um, Christians ought to think about uh, engaging in our present culture. So, yeah, and we will uh, link... Uh, in the show notes, each of those specific podcasts with Mm -hmm. those authors, and we hope it's helpful to you. Mm Yes, yes. 